Welcome to On Air, a podcast discussion at the intersection of artificial intelligence and international relations. From Tokyo, Japan, welcome to the On Air podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lamont, joined today by Manjinder Kanth, who is CEO of Grade, a startup offering an AI assisted grading platform that promises to cut dramatically the time spent by professors and lecturers in grading and providing feedback for student assessments. It is a pleasure to have Manjinder here today because recently we've heard a lot about how large language models like OpenAI's ChatGPT are transforming higher education from the perspective of student work. But we have only heard vaguely about how AI will likely impact traditional tasks on the other side of the coin, such as grading. Manjinder, welcome to On Air. Hi, thank you very much for having me, Chris. It's, it's really wonderful to, to have you here. And although I've already promised to the listeners a discussion on assessment, I want to backtrack for a second. And before we get to grading, let me ask you about your perspective on chat GPT. How do you see large language models impacting upon higher education? Seems that there are a lot of different perspectives on this and, and everybody seems to have a perspective. Yes, definitely. I think uh, large language models such as ChatGPT have taken the world by storm. Um, I think it's quite interesting because the technology has existed for over a year now. It's been used by right. marketers already. But if you put it in like a nice little fancy packaging that's easy to use, all of a sudden it can get a million users in five days and really make everybody rethink everything about everything. So for higher education specifically, there are a couple of things that I personally want to like make note. These transformer models are designed to probabilistically work out the next best word or phrase, or more specifically token, um, but you can think of it as a word or phrase, to come next based on the words that have come before and based on the training model that and the training data that's set it all up. So what that means is if you put in uh, low quality writing or low quality prompts, because it's designed to create the next best output, it's going to continue that output and create low quality output. Right. So it's this has actually been shown with research. So um, when they put in code that is buggy or not well implemented, it actually generates code that's buggy and not well implemented. And then similarly for text as well, with spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes. The next thing I want to highlight as well is that because of this probability model, it's designed to uh, make up stuff because right. it's again, it's incentivized to just complete the next sentence. So again, it's been historically shown to create references that don't exist and links that don't exist because of this setup. So though it is a powerful tool, there is a huge question about the reliability of its output. And when it comes to higher education, that's definitely something that we need to think about. Absolutely. I think we've talked about this kind of reliability in different contexts, like some people describe it as hallucination, right? Kind of creating articles that 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 don't exist or creating kind of events or things, taking it from fiction and then turning it into fact or something along those lines, which suggests that that we need a, a very high degree of AI literacy really to, to operationalize these types of tools. Because as you said, if you put garbage in, you'll get garbage out. Completely agree. And then when it comes to the kind of implementation of this in higher education, there are different things we need to think about, right? Because it, in some sense, these tools are here to stay, and they're going to be used in industry like they already are in marketing. So do we really want to be training our students in a silo where they're not allowed to use tools like ChatGPT or any other successor that comes along, and then they get hit with a giant 
you know, wave of this tech when they go into industry. I don't think that's necessarily the right way to educate our students. So including AI literacy, including how to actually use these tools effectively and understanding kind of all the implications of that and building that into our education courses is a thing. At the same time, you know, just like we have plagiarism checkers to check that people aren't just copying and pasting from Wikipedia or other books, we need AI-generated content checkers. And luckily, Grade and other companies like us are working on that so that we can identify when students have done that and not just, you know, also used it as part of their creative flow, but just used it as a replication tool. Right. As after all, the um, I guess the the endeavor of of education or learning is 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 about the process, right? Acquiring these critical thinking skills. And if you're using ChatGPT or LLMs as just a way to bypass that and arrive at the end of just kind of having this this text without any understanding of what it is, what you have produced, um, then it it really defeats the purpose of of education as as a kind of endeavor that one would undertake or or even pay for. But on the other side of the coin, as you said, it's really important for students to understand what these tools can do, what their limitations are, because they will be encountering them in the kind of the world outside the halls of, of the university. So Manjinder, if I understand you correctly, you're you're more skeptical when it comes to kind of those voices calling for kind of a ban of these types of tools in educational environments. Yes, personally, I am. Um, I can't speak for all educators, obviously, but um, the way I like to see it, and I, this is something I saw online, is think of this as a calculator for writing. When calculators came by, yes, there was an instinctive sense of saying, well, right, what's the point cheating. of being able to, exactly, <laughs> what's the point of doing any calculations anymore? Um, and then in schools, we do calculator papers and non-calculator papers. That's a system that we can use again. Also, in STEM and mathematics, we've got tools like Wolfram Alpha, which can solve complicated equations, integrals, differential equations, etc. We still teach those tools because the process of that learning is important, but they are integrated into the process of research and the process of industry. And I suspect that within a relatively reasonable amount of time, that's how we're going to see large language models too. Yes, they can do an incredible amount of stuff for us. But when we look at doing, say, history papers, or for GCSE in Britain, right. or a couple of university papers, most of these student, uh, most of these outputs don't actually generate the best possible response or the best possible grade, sorry. So it's really showing you that a lot of these connections can often be quite surface level deep. And I know the technologists that are listening are probably going to say, well, we can get bigger data, we can get bigger models. And yes, of course we can. And I fully don't understand how the curve is going to go, whether or not we can fully replicate everything. But at least in the short term, that's a, like a process that we can follow that has already existed in the STEM field. Right, because writing is not just about the the written, I guess, product, if you want to think about it that way, but it's about the critical thinking that brings you to a particular kind of endpoint, just like, as you mentioned, in a lot of other disciplines, such as in STEM, and thinking through kind of more complex or other complex equations. Getting back to grade, which you've you've already mentioned, um, Manjinder, how did how did grade come about and what led you to take on the task of developing an AI-assisted grading platform? Yes. So this all really started while I was a postgraduate student at the University of Birmingham. So I did a PhD in theoretical physics, uh, but I also did my undergraduate at the same university. 
And I have this weird perspective, which I guess anybody who's kind of gone into academia afterwards has got. And that is, as a student, I remember doing these problems assessments and these reports and everything uh, and being frustrated that it would take quite a long time to get my feedback. Right. <laughs> and on the other side of the coin, as soon as I became a TA, a teaching assistant, I found myself quite frustrated mm -hmm. <laughs> because I had to do a lot of this workload with only a short amount of time, two to three weeks. And I was wondering how on earth this is actually possible. Um, and I, I had a lot of experience with um, kind of grading and education before I was a private tutor. I actually did a small stint in schools as well. And I kind of noticed the systemic issue around the processes and the workflows um, alongside the rest of my co-founders. So we were all TAs at the time. And we recognized that the systems in place don't leverage technology in a way that they can reduce kind of the administrative overhead. And then the second part is the repetition. Anybody who's graded any papers recognizes that there's a lot of repetition. Now, students do things in similar but not exact ways. And the way I like to say it is that, you know, the space or the forest of answers is infinite, but the paths that students take are quite often pretty well trodden. So if we can classify those approaches that students are taking in an effective way, then we can use technology like artificial intelligence to reduce that workload at scale. So that's what we did. Interesting. So I'm almost thinking about um, examples of software that is out, are, are out there in terms of um, finishing an email for you, right? On the basis of kind of what you have started writing and you're mentioning, you're talking about some of the patterns that are that are out there in, in student work. Um, can you go a little bit deeper into how this AI works? So what, what exactly, I guess, does it do in kind of a more kind of from a more lay perspective in terms of being able to provide quality assessment and also quality feedback to to students yes so the first thing i want to say is that we've built a revolutionary approach that allows us to create an individual ai for every single question that's being assessed so immediately that's a much smaller space of answers that's required to be able to get some value out but that also means that we remove a lot of bias that you could get from a large data set because the ai is trained on just the way that you've been creating those particular papers for that particular question and it starts from scratch again from every single other question that you might have in terms of how it specifically works imagine that you've got a giant stack of papers and we're going to just narrow it down to just one question out of those papers for now as you grade the work our system recognizes the areas that you selected so you might be selecting some calculations some keywords some sentences um, that are relevant to the answer and you're giving feedback to this so maybe there's been an error in a calculation maybe there's been a misstep or of kind of critical thinking uh, in some sort of factual basis as you start to grade that we can recognize due to the area that you've selected and the context of the wider answer what the things you actually pick up and care about are so before you start <clears throat> the ai doesn't actually know anything right and it has to recognize what differences and similarities that you care about for example if there's two sentences and the only difference is one particular word or the spelling of that particular word the AI doesn't know that you might care or you might not care. So at the beginning, 
it has no idea of which those two statements are true. As you start grading those papers, it recognizes, oh, you're given these two sentences, the same feedback. So the difference, which is the word, doesn't really matter. And it allows us to really quickly learn and replicate and start suggesting feedback. So the first maybe five or 10 papers that you're grading, it's still learning. But on the 11th or something, it recognizes a paper comes through and there are already some similarities there. Right. So it can suggest feedback based on the way that you've previously graded those papers with a confidence percentage as well. And that's a really important point. So not only do we like have a good idea of what the feedback should be, we actually uh, can provide a confidence level, which allows the grader to either accept, reject or amend the given feedback and dynamically update its model in real time. So I think one thing that's really important that stands out here is that this sounds like a tool that's there to help the grader in assessing student assignments. It's not meant to kind of replace the grader or the professor or the lecturer, whoever is doing the grading, but to provide some assistance to help with that process. That's exactly correct. That's kind of why we wrote the name, right? The AI is in grade, but Mm -hmm. the second half of the word is aid you know, a helper. And we knew that at the end of the day, the knowledge lies with the educator and not with the tech. So it's our job to reduce the workload, right? but it's not there to replace. Now, once you've graded, say, 100, maybe 150 questions, the product is something that can be largely auto-graded. But at the end of the day, you still have, you know, if you repeat the question, you still have the option to go in and review everything because the final decision always lies with you. Right. And and as as a as an educator, we learn a lot from assessing and engaging with students' work. Um my next question um relates to disciplines, right? And if and grade um you've mentioned has the ability to grade across a number of disciplines, but it seems like for now you've focused on math, physics, biology, chemistry, economics, and engineering. Are you planning on expanding the disciplinary scope of this grading aid tool? Certainly. We've actually been working on a tool that allows you to grade essays and reports much, much more effectively. Interesting. So the the current scope um, of the platform allows you to grade papers that are scanned in uh, without the aid of AI, but then also allows you to grade papers that are digitally inputted. Um, And those problems are usually short answer text problems, kind of factual problems with a little bit of reasoning, mathematical problems, those kind of scope. But I'm really excited about the work that we're working on essays because we'll be able to get an explainable reduction in workload uh, with the help of AI, being able to categorize the different kind of criteria that you might be grading against. So maybe things like, you know, people do introductions, methodology, but we could also do kind of quality of written communication, um, abstracts, and, and all this kind of really interesting stuff to kind of open the scope up to pretty much all subjects. Um, we're still thinking about how we're going to deal with diagrammatic problems. So there are a lot of procedural problems where you have to create schematics, or you have to create process flows, or you have to create um, uh, 
circuit diagrams and uh, so forth. Still working on how we implement artificial intelligence on that. But when it comes to kind of the large written form, mm -hmm. we suspect that we're going to be able to make a very large impact very soon. This is fascinating. And this, this certainly would um, make waves when it comes to, to grading and, and assessment. It is something, as I mentioned at the very outset, that, that perhaps we're not talking about enough as kind of the debate or the discourses around Chad GPT are largely focused around kind of the future of student student work and the the nature of the types of assignments we give. How do you see the future of grading and assessment as part of higher education? I think it's a very exciting time for grading and assessment for higher education. I am we have this kind of belief that if we had the capacity, every single student could have their own personal teacher and have a really personalized learning experience. I think that's the dream. And I think mm -hmm. due to uh, kind of financial capacity and lots of other issues, uh, we can't actually do that. So we have to have classrooms, we have to have lecture rooms. And immediately you have this essence of trying to understand the scope of the cohort and trying to deal with that. Artificial intelligence allows us to bring back the personalization into that flow. And the reason I say this is because we can create entire networks that understand the process of topics that need to be learned to achieve particular outcomes. We can do assessments. Sorry, this is speaking about the future. So right, we right. will be able to do assessments that because our feedback is tagged on particular mm -hmm. on those on those learning issues and those learning outcomes, we'll be immediately able to work out what issues a student has in that, that learning space. And if we have a large bank of questions in an environment where we have a collaboration between educators across the world, a student can get automatically given a question that directly addresses the issues that they have had on that particular topic and get effectively instantaneous or near instantaneous feedback and rinse and repeat this process to be able to kind of journey their way onto the outcome, which I think is an incredibly powerful tool. We're kind of bringing back that personalization that we can all dream of as educators. That's, that's absolutely fascinating and kind of the knock-on effects of freeing up time, as you mentioned, in relation to, to grading for, for other tasks and perhaps kind of more, kind of more greater focus on, on mentoring and, and the such. This all sounds really exciting. And I have to ask you though, we do have, um, many listeners who might be thinking about, um, harnessing an idea and starting their own firm or startup company. What advice would you give students who are interested in following in the footsteps, kind of your footsteps, the footsteps of your your kind of collaborators, your colleagues at grade and forming or kind of setting out on their own startup ventures? I myself haven't come from a background of uh, wealth, so I found it quite difficult being able to both support myself financially whilst also starting this platform and this product at this company. Um, I know that if you have connections, then you know you can accelerate through this space much easier. You might know people who fund startups and kind of those doors can be opened much easier. Not to say that the journey isn't worth it. It's an incredibly, incredibly rewarding process. But I just want to lay off on the outset that it's probably worth thinking about how you're going to make yourself financially stable while you do this endeavor. Um, 
but on a more practical side i have a couple of tips too so uh, the first thing is i recommend reading a book called the mom test now i think when everybody has an idea they immediately right. think that their idea is great and that's a good thing right you have a lot of enthusiasm for your idea and when you try to kind of validate your idea you go out and you kind of seek positive validation you ask questions in a particularly leading way um you might ask your friends or your family and a lot of those people in your life aren't really there to kind of cut you down that's not really right the social interaction that you have what i would recommend is once you have an idea find out who your particular target customer would be ideally if you don't know them that'd be perfect and just ask for a couple of minutes of their time and interview them don't even bring up don't mm -hmm. even remotely bring up your idea whatsoever your questions should be identifying what is the pains that they're facing right what what takes them time what if you could wave a magic wand what would you fix and really understanding every single one of those things asking why it isn't done right now asking how it's done asking if they've got the capacity and how much they would be able to pay for a tool like this that could fix those types of problems really quickly you'll kind of understand oh wait a minute hmm. you know maybe i hadn't understood the problem very well or maybe maybe i didn't understand like how much like money there was for this tool right so for example you might have a particular customer who has a really big problem but it only really annoys them maybe one hour of every week <laughs> and it's like an infuriating hour right but it is only one hour of every right. week and then you say actually i want to charge you a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars right for this yeah. tool they're going to say no that's just my time's not worth that hmm. but if you have the opposite you might go in thinking that problem is x and you actually learn actually problem is y right and uh, and i think when you're part of a particular system and you your your own particular customer which was a case for a lot of our for our founders we have this privileged position where we actually understand the space quite well but sometimes even then you have to be very careful because just because you think of something a particular way even though you're in a particular role that's not how necessarily everybody else thinks so it's really the customer is everything right and that comes from with what the solution will be what the pricing point is how do you market to them how do you sell to them it's always about that particular customer hmm. and uh, it's a very cheap way to work out whether or not your problem is going to work right and it's better to find out early <laughs> at that stage exactly right. exactly you know imagine spending six months building a software platform that you realize <laughs> nobody actually wanted it and it, <laughs> yeah. it would be soul destroying right um, right and the second the thing that follows on from that is iterate quickly in a way that you get feedback right away so i think there is this desire to release something that's perfect mm -hmm. and it's a very hard thing to fight against but i truly recommend build the scrappiest version of the thing that you want to build it should look terrible mm -hmm. but it should have the the core functionality and nothing else right and put that in front of your customers hmm. have them test it see if they actually get value and the feedback that you get it's going to be stuff you never thought about. It, it'll be stuff like, where should I put this button? Or I don't like how this box opens or, or, or all this right. stuff like that. And because you've spent two weeks or a month on this kind of cardboard cutout of what your 
product will actually be, you're saving so much time and so much money. Um, and, and that kind of, you can iterate that process in everything that's, right. that goes into your sales process, your marketing process, everything. Absolutely. And in a way, we've seen OpenAI doing that with variants of chat GPT, right? Just kind of putting it out there <laughs> and letting people play around with it and letting the system learn and letting people talk about it and and letting it kind of learn from from all of these these interactions. Exactly. Manjinder, thank you so much for joining us and for a really great conversation and invaluable advice for our listeners. Of course, if you like the show, we invite you to subscribe and leave us a comment. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at onair underscore podcast. And don't forget to join us for our next episode. And until then, stay human.